Hello. Wait, what's that song? That country song that, that starts like that? Hello. Hello. No? No? Okay, all right. Give me more than hello. <laughs> what, no, what is it? Uh, wait, Adele what? has a song where she says. Oh, yeah, that's right. No. Uh, or is it Hello, Darling? That's it. Hello, darling. Come on, Kevin. What is it? <laughs> Hello. He always talks to my dad. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> if, if my dad Conway Twitty. Back. Hello, darling. Oh, there you go. Uh, Conway is what I was Twitty. trying to come up with. Uh, Kev's your right guy. He loves Conway. Nice to see you. It's been a long time since you left me. Okay, that was it. Welcome to Pines and Perspectives. For some reason, I sing country songs at the beginning of each episode. Whatever pops into my head. Not every episode. Well, just today. Uh, um, no, man. There's been some other ones. I Anyways, hey, um, we are back. Yeah, all sorts of things. I sang Papa Top again. Uh, We Uh, sang. I guess that's uh, true. I mean, all sorts of stuff, bro. Um, I'm going to keep it coming uh, because, believe it or not, looking at me, you probably don't think that I know a lot of country classics, but I do. Um, All right. It is Pints and Perspectives, and we're joined once again by our friend uh, and former professor, teacher, mentor, colleague in the work of the kingdom uh, i don't know all the things it's been blackwell he's yes. back with us everybody uh <laughs> let's you. give some applause going there for ben. um he's got a phd we don't uh hold on let's do the most pretentious thing we could possibly do right now how many degrees are in the room at this moment so you've got what four now i have three now <laughs> three i've got uh two you've got what four i believe five Five. five. You have two, two, two undergraduates, two, two masters, masters, and, and a doctor. Okay, so yeah. five, eight, ten. There are ten degrees between three people in this room, yep. and nobody cares. Classic. <laughs> no uh, educated either. beyond your intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think about it. I was. I asked Adam the other day. I was like, Adam, they say it takes ten thousand hours to become a master. It's like, do you think you have ten thousand hours in theology? Yeah, easy. Uh, I was like. You know, maybe I do too. Easy. How many hours do you think if we have? Okay, the, so a full time job is two thousand hours a year. Okay, so ten thousand hours is five full time years. Oh, yeah. well, I've got twenty thousand hours, not including education. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so welcome to the to the most <laughs> expert podcast on the subject matter you could possibly find. And if you believe that, we just blew it in the first five minutes. So, you know, here you go. Welcome hey, to Pints. You know what we're not blowing uh, today is uh, the beer because we got it right. I have come through with uh, a little special special. Have either one of you had any of these beers? I've never uh, even heard of this. I, I, <laughs> me either. And you know what? My attempt at Googling it took more than one. I'll say that. Well, uh, um, because it's uh, all their stuff is in French. Yes. Um, uh, ben, um, how's your French these days? Yeah. You read French. Well, this man taught me how to teach myself how to read French. And did it work? Uh, it worked enough to have about 5% of my sources for my master's thesis be in French. Wow. And that was before Google Translate actually could do it for you. It was. It was, was when before? I actually had to figure yeah, out how to do that to do shit. Something. <laughs> I just I, get uh, chat GPT. My, my French pronunciation is so bad. Oh, mine's terrible. It would be, but I can I read a little bit of French. Okay. So. Well, the box here is. How would you pronounce uh, the name of the brewer? Got some yeah, that's what I was looking at there. Yeah, that's it. There you go. You did it. You did it. You got the at the end, yeah. which I can never do. So I normally call it Unibrew. Okay, so wait. This is not 
the beer that we all have. La Fin du Monde. No. Um, it's okay. only the beer I have. Right, correct. Got it. So, okay. um, so That'd be th- La Fin du Monde. Okay, all right, so do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Computers in front of us. Um, learning about it. So, this brewery is in Chambly. Uh, 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 Chambly? Chambly, <laughs> Quebec. Uh, which Canada. In, which is a can a Canadian brewery, um, and I, it is a very small town. Who has the La Fin du Mont? How did you I pronounce do. it? Okay, look, that's a that's a map of Chambly, and uh, there's a famous lake there too, uh, Lake Chambly. Okay. Um, and so I've actually been there because that's where your people's from. My wife's people are from yeah. there. Yeah. So my father-in-law um, and his siblings—they were born and lived the majority of their life in Montreal. Um, but uh, my wife's grandmother and like the and some of the family members uh, in later in life all lived in Chambly. And so I've been to Chambly. I've been to this uh, to where this beer is made. I did not get to go to the brewery. That's um, nice that you gave your wife a shout out after just getting in trouble. So. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. And on the last ones, I said I didn't like blondes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm making up for all sorts. So they have a lot of beer, um, and the brewery primarily does beer in Belgian in the Belgian style of of um, brewery uh, br- brewery. Yeah. But um, in the United States, the three beers we have, we have three different beers. These are the primary ones. Like if you go in your grocery store, these three Unibrew uh, beers were, will probably be there. This is their main line here in the United States. So um, we each have three different ones. And we're going to try them all. Yeah. So, so who's you, going first? Um, why don't you go first since you have, okay. this is kind of the flagship beer the, in America. The bottle. Like oh yeah, sorry. Here, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, back in the day when I was married, I used to be able to open all the beer uh, bottles with my ring. Sometimes I still wish I was married for that. But That's the main know. thing he's disappointed in. He just doesn't it, wear a ring anymore. It is that way sometimes. Uh, okay, <laughs> you, you um, can wear a ring and be married to Jesus. <laughs> there, we did you an episode on that. The last episode <laughs> that we published, we shit all over purity <laughs> culture. Um, Great suggestion, Ben. Thank yeah, you very much. Great, great we'll job. Uh, his, his, his jokes are on point, friends. His All jokes right. are on point. Okay, Go for it. so this is apparently the flagship beer is the La Fin du Monde. I think as it relates to, insofar as I'm referring to their um, American distribution. Oh, Americans. Okay. Amer- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, so the website has a, like a scale. Um, yeah. I don't know how helpful it is because the scale of bitterness is IBUs. It's literally called the International Bitterness <laughs> Units. Right. Um, so I don't know how but helpful that is. It's a more of a visual representation than a numerical representation. Maybe it's for, um, yeah. But on the back of the bottle, it says that it's a Belgian triple style and it's 19 IBUs. So yep. that's pretty low. Um, it's tasting notes. It says that the nose should be floral. Bouquet, fresh baguette, and aromas of honey spices. Coriander, also called cilantro, malt, and alcohol. It is a tribute to Quebec, the land encountered by 16th century French explorers who thought they'd reached the end of the world. That's what your beer uh, is a tribute to. Well, I don't get fresh baguette, but everything else seems on point. Uh, It's colors blonde, got a great head. Uh, it says it's mildly hoppy palate with notes of grains, fruit, and spice, followed by a smooth, dry finish. Um, uh, we'll see if that is the case. It also told me that it pairs well with, um, what did it say? 
Oh, uh, blue cheese, seafood, and sausages. Yeah, there you uh, go. And over there, it said on the box. Where's yeah. the box? It said something about notes of um, salted blue cheese. That's what it said. Wow. All right. I don't. For a Belgian triple. All right, Ben, uh, you go next because you've got the double. All right, I've got uh, the double. The Maudite. I yep. don't know what that, how you pronounce that. I Ma- give it to him because. The Maudite. Mo- I don't know. Maudite. I call it the Maudite. Well, I know M, like Mauve, M A, uh, or A U is an O sound. Yeah. So it'd be. Maudite. Maudite or Maudite. I don't know what it. All right. Interesting. Not All right. Okay. So read, I guess, are you reading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, spicy and complex, this beer with the colors of hell offers aromas of spice, orange, and malt. I actually did give him that one because it has a demon on it. He says it's an archangel. It's caramelized. <laughs> it's caramelized taste and fiery finish evoked the legend of La, no, this is French, La Chasse Galerie where the pleasure of reunions suffers no compromise, even if it means making a pact with the devil. I don't get any of those references. This is some French-Canadian stuff. Uh, It is 8% alcohol by volume in the style of a Belgian double 22 IBUs. Um, Yeah, what do you think? It's dark. It is. I'm not usually a dark ale person, but... Yeah, that's nice. Says it would go great with spicy dishes, creme brulee, mm. tasty soft cheeses with a washed rind. What does that mean? These French people. The nose of malt, orange spices, coriander, and clove. You get any of that? Flavor, uh, caramelized sugar, marmalade, spicy, roasted notes, etc. I love that beer. Yeah, it's a good one. It is very good. I'm usually not a dark ale person. I know it's not like super dark, but uh. yeah, it um, it has a pretty interesting gradient color to it. Uh, All right, yeah. All right, and you have what's this I've one? got the Trois Pistoles. I put a little uh, Latin accent on it, but uh, a little bit. Oh, black cherry and dark rum. Tell them. Oh, they say it's a deep brown. This is right up your alley. This Adam is, loves brown ale. This is my favorite beer from this brewery. I mean, they have other stuff that I have never had before, but of what I've had, this is my favorite. This is also the hardest to find around here because most people uh, drink the La Fin du Monde. Um, mm. But look at that pour. Yeah, fiery and distinguished, this brown brew, this brown brewed with four malts. Uh, and as many exotic spices release notes of black cherries and dark rum. It's, yeah. it's gorgeous. Uh, who will know how to tame this powerful beast? Proud descendant of the legend of the black horse of Trois Pistoles. Belgian style dark strong ale. So this is not a double or a triple. It's a strong ale. Um, nine percent alcohol by volume. Uh, strong brunette, fifteen point five IBUs. Uh, yes. All, all right. right, let's cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddies. Ben beat us to it. Cheers. That's all right. Heaven, Belgian beer, yeast is always an experience. It is. I often talk about the way that beer across the pond does a far and away better job of experimenting with yeast yep. as an ingredient in beer to, to help the flavor. 
because over here you'll just see everybody use like American ale yeast or like some, some variation of like a dozen of the same yeast for all the beer we produce. Right. Um yeah, mine um it tastes like a really good triple. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my parents lived in Belgium for my dad lived there for two years. Uh my younger brother and my mother lived there for a year. Um, and they came back, I mean, obviously, as you might imagine, just loving Belgian culture and Belgian food and Belgian beer specifically, because if you didn't know, Belgium is uh, per capita the brewing capital of the world. Oh, okay. There are more breweries per capita in Belgium than any other country in the world. Interesting. Um, and there's a great little, like, French-Belgian bistro down on Houston, um, ironically around the corner from Ecclesia. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, that we went to a lot, and so I've had a lot of doubles and triples and oh. lots of Belgian-style beer. Yeah, Belgian Cafe. Yeah. I know exactly where it's at. Um, well, I think it's called Belgian Bistro. Oh, okay. Whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, Cafe is the French pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you were telling us a story about going to Belgium or something like no, that. No, no. I was just saying that I've uh, got quite a bit of experience with doubles and triples and Belgian-style beers, um, and this is a pretty good triple. Uh yeah, like 7-2. Like oh, okay. Good, good triple. Good triple. Good triple. All right, go ahead. I have probably never had a double before. So <laughs> I uh, have no... Uh, Your beer experience, is it pretty limited? It is, yes. Okay. It's not, it's not <laughs> very not vast. Fan, huh? like what IPAs? kind of theologian are you? Like, I thought and, to, be a th- to be a white guy theologian, you had to like craft beer. I oh, thought those see, things. In, in England, they just dr- go to the pub and just drink beer. You know? so, <laughs> just, just ale. Yeah. yeah. It's lagers, you know? So yeah. this is uh, why Carlsberg or. Okay. Uh, so, like, when you. There? Uh, I don't know. But yeah. When you go to. When you move and you go to your walkable pub. You're just going to walk in there and order a beer. You're not going to, like, name a label. Oh, no. I, I, that's what I'm saying. Okay, I was okay. trying to think of there's another uh, white label beer. I can't remember which one it is that I always get as well. Um, no clue. Couldn't I tell can't, you. Yeah. Couldn't Anyhow, tell you. I'm pretty simple. But this is the whole thing. Like, food in general, like, my taste or my palate is undeveloped. <laughs> this is- and so why spend a lot of money for something that I will not taste the difference of Maybe that's a little bit uh, okay. Cheaper, so yeah. it sounds like England is the best place for you. Oh then. yeah, no, that's good. I mean, good. I mean, they have lots of good uh, European stuff. They have the, the best thing. curry. I think they have the best curry. Yeah, we've quit eating um, for Mother's Day. We went to uh, a Indo Pakistani restaurant. Yeah, but, like we quit eating that because we know like that's what you're going to move to yeah. where it's easy to get that. Yeah, so, yeah, we've been. Uh, Basically, just solely eating Tex-Mex. Yeah, you're yeah, not gonna you're get gonna miss it. You're not gonna get any. Hey, but I will say, it's pretty easy to make. It's That's, not a hard. If you, if can, you get, can get the ingredients, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to make. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's not a hard. Thing it's to cumin make. hard to come by in. No, no, it's not. Uh, spice. Have stuff you ever is, watched the Gordon Ramsay episode? <laughs> no, cumin is not hard yeah. to come. That by fool lives in L.A., not the U.K. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> He's just got an accent. Um, okay, are we talking about beer? Uh, yeah, you have to rate yours. Oh, no, wait, we were on yours. Okay, well, I I give it a seven. (laughs) Well, Ben is his own uh, trailblazer. Um, All right, yeah, so I've got the Trois Pistoles. 
Quapistolis. Uh, I love it. The dark cherry is there. Um, it is the yeast is not as uh, in your face like what y'all are drinking. Does it have that dark rum flavor that it's it does bragging have, about? Yep, has a dark okay. rum flavor. Uh, it is. Is that not just the booziness of the beer, or do you are you actually getting no, like a rum? There's a lot of fruit. Flavor. There's a lot of fruit okay, flavors. Um, nice uh, and. Um, like spice and fruit the the food pairings that suggested is braised beef braised beef and game, game i saw that and triple cream cheeses what does that mean what's a triple cream cheese well it just means it, it thinks it will go with uh, stuff that's like Soft really cheeses? fatty oh look at you yeah nice uh so yeah lots of spice lots of sweet I'm fatty <laughs> this beer goes great with you ben Thank you. um i'm gonna give it a um i like belgians i appreciate them i had i understand them uh they are not my go-to yeah uh, i did this more out of novelty and because i knew i could get three beers that y'all probably never had before and yeah. uh, it's a little nod to my uh my in-laws so i'm gonna give this a six five i think a good that's Bel not a nod to your in-laws <laughs> <laughs> i i think uh of the three it is my favorite i do like the maldite i don't really like that beer much um but yeah cheers to canada and to all the french canadians out there blame canada i don't know what a good french greeting is yeah i don't know either uh, Quebec is a great Kiss city. Kiss my ass. They seem to be kind of rude. <laughs> great. Now we just lost our entire French audience. The Canadians are offended. The French they are offended. They know they're rude. <clears throat> we just think lost they wear that. it as a badge of honor. Yeah. Okay, what are we talking about, theologians? Yeah, so we're going to introduce a series on atonement theories. Um, what does that word mean? What, what were we going to say? I was going to say, I don't like the word theory. <laughs> okay. okay. What, what would you... I asked about the first word. He asked about the second word. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Cullen. Well, let's start with the word we all agree is acceptable, but need to define atonement. What What does that word mean? Well, what does it mean? That's I don't a great... Know. Yeah. You told me that it's a made-up word. It is. That it means at one mint, shoved yeah. together. Yeah. 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 Is it Wycliffe? John uh, Wycliffe yep. made this word up. Okay. There you go. So it's a made-up word uh, to... In English, at least, right? Yeah. I mean, it's to, yeah, but I mean, to like create a category, a theological category, why did he make it up? Yeah, and I mean, I guess reconciliation, you could have other terms that are similar yeah. to this. Sure. But like Redemption, we're, restoration. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think, I guess, because there are specific, you know, I'm thinking of New Testament here more than... Uh, Old Testament, but there is a specific word for reconciliation. You know, there's oh. a specific word for redemption. Yeah. Um, but when you talk about like the hilasterion, this whatever, this atoning sacrifice, yep. mercy seat business is just in its own category. So I think made up of something else. Yeah, it's so interesting. This is so what what word do you propose we replace theories with? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you like theories? There's also like what eight, six major theories. Yeah, so I like the word models and, and models. Part of this, oh, you do always use yeah, that because word. Yeah, the word you theory in your book. Yeah. Theory just means that it could be true and likely is it. You know, I mean, right? I guess that's that just like a hypothesis. <laughs> ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. That's, that's what we're yeah. doing here. Atonement models. Yeah, so what's I'm, the difference? I'm just like okay. all of the above. 
they, these all speak to some element of truth. Okay, that's oh great point. Okay, wait. So you believe they all speak to some element of truth? They each are. They each have something that they've highlighted. Yeah, I think in yeah. that sense, like when, um, yeah. Okay, well, let's just go off that because um, I kind of want to push back on that. I I don't know that there's any burden of truth to ransom atonement theory, oh. other than it's recorded in the in the the pastoral epistle somewhere okay yeah so what i would say here so uh i'm i'm a fan of grouping them in families rather okay. rather than dealing with any one model like it, any one model has uh more or often less you know <laughs> purchase yeah but what the models uh speak to i think are the real issues that sin and corruption creates and that is corrected in Christ's death and resurrection. Yeah. And they, and, and the models, some overemphasize certain elements, uh, whether they be scriptural or theological and then, right. They overemphasize one thing and underemphasize another thing. Yeah. So they're like any metaphor, right? I mean, they're, they're highlighting some aspect and not, treating others, you know? And so I think yeah. it, it's for me reductive to make one, the only model yeah. and then everything else is just an illustration of kind of window dressing or whatever the, yeah. the garnish. Whereas it's like, no, I think the, the problem of sin is so uh, pervasive or just um, multifaceted. And so to pick out one aspect of it and make that somehow and the same thing with the cross and resurrection dealing with just one aspect of sin. Okay. Hey, but look, so how would you, okay. Well, so look, I hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. But real talk, real talk. Which one's your favorite though? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there's like one though, right? We'll get there after yeah. we, no, like, there's not no, one. I mean, no, I, come I, on. <laughs> It I definitely a, have a favorite. It's the same way with my food, though. Like, I, <laughs> I, if I'm eating Mexican food, it's like, this is great. Okay. <laughs> I'm right. going to get Italian. If I'm eating Indian. All right. Just want a good hamburger. Found found yeah. a good sushi place down on Bel Air. Okay. It, that was good sushi. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have to compare it to, like, eating something else. It's like, okay. it, it is what it's good for, you know? Okay. Is there so, anyone that you would say absolutely not 100% wholesale reject it? Yeah, wholesale rejected. Uh, no, I mean not. I mean, it, it depends on what you're talking about. Like okay. the list in my head is may not be the list. Okay, right. okay, so great. That's what so, I was okay, go. Say. Okay, why don't you go ahead and list them all for us and put them in the groups and categories you like? What's to your first family? My first family. So I guess the one that at least people respond to or know the most is what I'd call the divine restitution okay. family. Yes, okay. I can. I can remember the chart. Yeah. So I, I'll just list the three families that i put them in okay so divine restitution and this basically got something about our relationship with god or god himself his view of us has to be corrected right right uh the second model is the victory over evil powers mm-hmm. i mean it's not as uh, uh but this is like the christus victor model yeah. is within this family it's the, a defeat of a the, opposite power yeah the ransom model that right. kind of thing See, okay, so interesting that you keep putting ransom in there. I would not put it there. But well, it's because fundamentally you have an really? evil Where power that is being subverted. Yeah, so which, well, what, yeah, what but, family but, would you put it in? But the opposition is God themselves because it's the wrath of God that's being satisfied what? on the cross, not the wrath of evil. So you would put it in the first family. 
Well, yeah. Well, so, I don't know his third family. Well, no, but the whole deal about the wrath, of, so that's the whole thing. It's like, it's not that the people that say the ransom is the reality, deny the wrath of God. They would just like, you point to like the Babylonians as the expression of God's wrath. Yeah, right, right, you right. Know, in the Old Testament. So the devil yeah. or these demonic powers. Uh, so when you talk about the wrath of God, it's still expressed via these demonic powers. Yeah. Um, third family. Third family is what I like. Have, this is totally made this up called the transforming vision. Yeah. Transforming vision. This, this is where I am. Yeah. So this is a, uh, yeah. In this sense, like it, it's more a patristic model. Yeah. We, you almost don't like moral influence. Moral example is where I put this. I think it does generally fit here. Uh, the patristic models are a little bit more ontological. They think that something is actually changing in a way that I think the moral influence, moral example, don't always okay. grasp. Yeah. And so, sure. for instance, in, um, we were going through um, Ephesians 4 uh, at, at church, and we were talking about the life of God, that people that are separated from Christ are separated from the life of God. But then it goes through and it explains that it, it uses uh, this language that they were ignorant that they were mm. darkened in their thinking. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's this transforming vision that when you actually encounter God, enlightenment, you are transformed by knowing, seeing, understanding, encountering God. Yeah. And so that in itself, That's, Pelagius agrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wrong about everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but what would be the more just that sin is sickness rather than death? Yeah. So the deification. This is where you'd also put deification. Stuff would fit within this. Yeah. Like, got it. When to see God, to know God is to live. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, yeah, in that yeah. sense, and Athanasius, if, if yeah. you read his on the incarnation, we did. You forced us. Yes. Yes. So this, Twice. you know, Athanasius, a, a theologian, or in the mid three uh, hundreds. Yeah has this book called, in, on, and he describes why did Jesus need to become human, right? Yeah. Become incarnate. And the first uh, half or the first 10 chapters or so are all about the problem of death. Mm -hmm. And so death is this power over us. And so it's not that just that Jesus needed to die on the cross to defeat death. He actually had to raise, Had right? to resurrect. You know, and so the resurrection is as central to the atonement as his right. death on the cross is. And so that would be that victory over the powers of, death, you know, Christus Victor model there. But then the second chapters, 11 to 20 or so, are this transforming vision that we were dead because we are ignorant, we're separated. And so our encounter with God relationally yeah. shapes our life and existence in the world. And so um, it it's not categories that we in the modern West think about. Sure. And yeah. so most of our attention theologically is on the divine restitution or the Christus Victor. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, part of the divine restitution model, the, the satisfaction model that Anselm came up with was mm -hmm. because he explicitly wanted to get the devil out of the equation. Powerless. What is that? It, uh, to, that the devil is, wait, okay, sorry, go ahead. We'll take the devil out of it. So Jesus, he, he didn't want Jesus's, uh, the necessity of Jesus' right. uh, death on the cross to be mandated by the enemy. Uh, yeah, some other, somebody else on somebody else's terms. Right. And so it's on God's terms that he's doing this. So it's restoring uh, God's honor, God's moral order 
um, not doing something with it, it might do something with regard to the devil, but it's not, that's not why the, the, he the, had to do it. The devil is not the central yeah. focus. The devil's not the driving force right. of yeah. satisfaction. But my question about why do you think that is, is the Western, uh, the, 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 those are, you said these are uh, categories that uh, we in the Western world don't really oh. think through. And so we, we kind of lean towards those other uh, families yes. uh, models. Why do you think that is? Okay. That's a longer story about uh, the history of Western philosophy. <laughs> okay. All right. I, the I short will, answer is I, we're mostly Platonist, right? Is this it? Uh, no, actually, if Platonism would be a better solution to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a guy named Hans Borsma. Uh-huh. I know uh, this name because of you. And he has written a book called Heavenly Participation. And so it's not, I mean, it's a couple hundred pages, but it's about the thinnest treatment from okay. the biblical world till today uh, on this. And basically in the late middle ages, there's a movement called nominalism yeah. that turned away from these realities that exist as the basis of, um, and so we think of, let me use the language of human nature, okay, particularly in terms of evolution. What, what really makes a human different than, say, different forms of apes? The opposable thumb. Or opposable just, thumb. Yeah, specific and, characteristics, yes. right? Okay. There's not right. something internal to us. It right. just, we have a characteristic they don't have. They have characteristics we don't have. But yeah. there's sure. not something fundamentally, uh, the, the, you know, the fancy word is ontological. Mm -hmm. There's something yeah. about their being that is fundamentally different. It's, a, it's a, just a conglomeration of characteristics that we have named yeah. human yeah we have named those conglomeration of characteristics an ape right and so interesting that, that would be what nominalism is there's not some reality that stands behind this it's just a name that we have categorized things with so when we think about actually knowing god that's not something that has to do like to, with beingness it's just a phenomenon. Mm. And so we don't see knowing and encountering God as something that will change reality. It's just a phenomenon. So for us, it becomes more emotional than a reality. Interesting. See, you and convinced so, me of a long time ago that I can't think that way. So I haven't in a decade, but yeah. 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 So in that sense, that's why that, that transforming vision category, just one doesn't make sense to us in a lot of yeah. ways. At least the ancient version of it. Um, and so we just don't even think in terms. Like, it, it doesn't really. Mm. And so this is why evangelicals a lot of times will uh, write off, like, the moral example, moral influence quite yeah. quickly. Because it, we don't see it as, like, doing something. It's not transactional enough, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it. And, and, and again, like, I think the what leads back to the divine restitution interest is like, well, if God's the center of things, then the cross has to do something with God. I mean, and that's... Yeah, sense, yeah, yeah. Like, there's always this impulse. And, and part of it, I, th I don't think this is the only thing that drives, like, penal substitution, which is the form of that divine restitution model where, where God has a moral order that, you know, as a penalty particularly, right. sin creates... And so Jesus is the substitution of that. Um, 
the issue there, what, what can happen with any of these theologies is what I call this kind of perfect God theology. If God is a little bit wrathful at sin, he must hmm. be even infinitely wrathful at sin. Or if he is one thing, we have to make it the most. And, and so I think there's somehow this tension that, well, if huh. God's the center of everything, then surely he has to be the center of the atonement theories and nothing else can impinge upon that. And interesting. I, uh, <clears throat> I just think that leads to all. So of all these traditional, I think we've named off six now, I've been trying to count, traditional models or theories. I think this is the question you were trying to get at earlier and maybe me presenting it a different way will produce a different answer. But is there maybe one that you primarily view the world through? Yeah, that... Um, mm. I mean, I probably uh, just because like the gospel I, has been presented to me, like if, if you know, it's, so let me, I'll, I'll give you an example here where well, the gospel has been primarily presented to me through penal substitution. Yeah, me too. Right. I mean, I that, think you would agree with that too. Right? And that I, has yeah. been the yeah, water yeah, yeah. we've been swimming in. Yeah. And, and, I mean, <clears throat> yeah. And what I would say is like, uh, so since I'm about to move to England, give an example here, um, you know, drive on the left-hand side of the road, actually not that hard. If, if you're following the flow of traffic, yeah. sure, right? You're just following somebody else. You're just doing it. Uh, but what happens then is when you come to an emergency, so if something happens as oh. somebody that's been taught to drive on the right-hand side of the road, if something happens, your immediate impulse to right, is to pull yeah. to the right. Well, if you're driving on the left-hand side of the oh, road, that's oncoming traffic. Yeah. You're pulling in, you know, and so in that yeah. sense, I think that's the the issue here is like we have these default positions, but then they yeah. create problems for us when do. when we're yeah. in a setting where it's like this seems like it's the right thing to do, but actually but. it creates problems. And so I think when you mix and mingle these in ways, you you know, and it's like. It, w- all metaphors have limitations. They all break down at some level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They can't be universally communicative. Right. And I think even more, you know, so I, I, I don't hold to a multiple model just because of metaphor theory. Yeah. Just the Bible talks about all of them, all these different models. You know, it is true. The Bible does reference all of them. Yeah. Some of them less than others, but yeah. And so in that sense that I don't, I don't know. The Bible never says this is the right one and these others are subsidiary. <laughs> so I don't know how I would enforce that onto the text. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say one other major reason in the evangelical and just Protestant tradition as a whole that the divine restitution, penal substitution holds yeah. as central is because justification as... Uh, yeah. So when we talk about atonement, <laughs> I use the language of it, salvation accomplished. Jesus died on the cross and it, it's a it's a fact uh, whether I believe in it or not. But when I do believe in in Christ and the efficacy of His death and resurrection, uh, that's what I would call salvation applied. Yep. And so that is uh, specific to individual experience. And so in that sense, just the doctrine of justification not does not speak directly to atonement. It salvation accomplished it speaks to salvation applied what does it look like when i'm brought into the reality of the cross and resurrection well it's yeah the 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 so the so what the so what of it yes and so here's the here's the rub justification is has to do justice yeah right and so then it fits very tightly with with a penal substitution substitution as a uh 
metaphor, legal metaphor. Yeah. And so now, now the deal problem is, is that justification could, and I think rightly should also be interpreted as a, as a Christus Victor model of liberation from the power of death as, but without setting it in opposition to being set right before God, that both of those are whole together. So there's a wider covenantal thing that behind that, that would, um, shape that. But what that means then is that no one atonement model then has to drive justification because it can fit with both Christus Victor and the divine restitution. Are there people, uh, people, are there scholars who take a position of multiple models? Uh, Scott McKnight uh, uses, okay. has a, he, he uses the analogy of a golf bag, you know? So oh. oh, I have heard him. I did read wedge this in his versus book, a putter yeah. versus a, okay. and that, so, yeah. You know, and he and talked so, about this in uh, um, one of his books on Paul. Well, let me ask you: Is there? Would, would you say so? He says there's not one. He doesn't have a favorite. He doesn't uh, d- dismiss one wholesale, but he's also not committed to the golf bag analogy. Yeah. Well, so he's, so how about you? <laughs> he's he's making me rethink some of my thoughts right now. Let me go ahead and oh, say. Oh, look, that. you're still teaching, Ben. Uh, it's yeah. good. Well, but, when you're right. <laughs> <laughs> But what I will say is when I walked in here today, I damn near would fully reject ransom theory and primarily look okay. through the lens of Christus Victor. Okay. So what changed? Um, well, a statement you made that um, just because God has a partial wrath towards sin doesn't mean that he has an infinite wrath towards sin. Um, well, in the same way, I, I'm, I'm really pissed off when people rape people. Okay. I, I would, I would, and you know, when, when I thought that my sister was raped, I was ready to go to war for her. Um, I, I would like to think that God might have some kind of, some of that in them too. Um, now I don't know. A little, in, a little impulsive violent streak. God, yeah, I got God, it. Got it. God got a little gangster in him. I'm okay. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, or we could say God got a little cowboy. Both of <laughs> them ready to go to war at a drop of a hat. So, you know, I, I, yeah. So a little bit, that's making me rethink some things. But what I would say is I primarily view the world through Christus Victor, that, that, that Christ's death and resurrection is a victory over, that Christ's Resurrection is a victory over death and evil and is a foreshadowing of the future when those things are no more. Too bad death still exists. Well, okay, but nobody's saying that it's not it's not supposed to right now, right? The yeah. Bible didn't tell you that. Now and not yet, right? Yeah, that would be. that. And, you know, I mean, I think the <laughs> ba- biggest support of that is the Passover like Jesus' death is that Passover, right? And so what is Passover is a celebration of being liberated from the Egyptians. And yeah. so in that sense, I think even if the the Bible doesn't always uh, trumpet that in the same way as, you know, or use that um, in the same way that some other metaphors are brought out by Paul at different times. Well, and um, I think for me, like, Christus Victor, if I was going to have a category um, of atonement families, I might add one <laughs> for like just like liberation because Christus Victor very much so fits in a, in a much larger category of liberation and freeing the captives and, and um, you know, overcoming the suffering and, and harm of the people of power and those kinds of things. The, 
to go to Paul, like the powers and principalities, oppressors, those kinds of things. So, uh, you know, I just think Chris's victor uh, is a much larger bowl that has conversations outside of strictly atonement that really appeals to me for a, a, a holistic theology. Yeah, and I would say like that. This is where for me the kingdom as a orienting. Well, Adam doesn't believe in it because he doesn't think Jesus should be king because kings are bad, monarchy's bad. Okay, representative democracy, baby. Yes. Um, Even though Acts tells us that that's actually how they ended up living, Jesus... That's unfortunate. Well, ultimately, the reason Jesus is king is because God is the high king of heaven, right? And so this is now God... Human kings are always limited and and usually... We need need a divine king. And so when we There's been a bunch of divine kings who are also human. Who's that? I'm just saying. Percy Jackson? (laughs) (laughs) My son loves Percy Jackson. It's good. I was going to ask you a question before we went off. Oh, where would you put universalism in, in this conversation? Universalism. Well, it's not an atonement theory. It's okay, well, I know it's not an atonement model. Yeah, fair. Uh, but it is an outcome. So there's also, there's obviously Christian universalists. So there has to be a uni- uh, atonement model that works there. But maybe it's just heretical and not based in scripture. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, um well, part of this has to do with this question of how does salvation accomplished relate to salvation applied? Sure, right. Those two, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and and so um, I don't think I think you can come to a universalist position from using, any model. Yeah, any any of those models could get you there because sure, in this sense, like the penal substitution model, which is. I mean, it could be like Christ paid the penalty for all humanity. Yeah. Right. And so you could. Which I think that's what I was told in Sunday school, actually, that he died for all. Yeah. And so that's, that's that why, is what it says. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that sense, like it, how, how that plays out then, how, how those work together, how, right. how tightly did they link together? I think. Sure. Are these, um, you know, and I think this is like a classic question of say Romans nine to 11, um, which says what? Well, so Romans 9 talks about... uh, This is where we get covenant theology and... Well, what I would say is like Romans 9 is challenging Jews who think they're automatically in just because they have this ethnic heritage. They're ethnically Jewish. Right. And... Nationalism. (laughs) Sorry, ethnocentrism. ethnocentrism, (laughs) The entire religion evolved out of nationalism. So Mm. you have to be careful faulting them for what they were trained to do. Yeah, and you got to be careful modeling your life on it, too. Go ahead. So, (laughs) anyhow, so in that sense, Paul's like, hey, the second born, these Gentiles actually are where God's doing his work now, not the first born yeah uh in chapter 11 he reverses it he says hey gentiles oh, don't yeah. think just because you're the cool kids yeah. now the jews don't have a place they're actually the root they were the, the first trunk, and you're just the uh tree the branches, branches. that have been uh grafted to grafted that was the word i was grafted in see i know grafted. my bible and so no, you remember bible i remember you start my bible. talking about it that's in true. front of you that's true <laughs> in, in uh, chapter 10 though he's like it's not just you because you're a gentile or chapter because 11 you, just because you're a jew it's yeah. like faith in the messiah yeah. is what is christ the, is this lean. the one yeah, new man salvation is in christ and so you can only experience salvation if you're in christ and so speaking of that, it's not just groups sure uh, generically that get to participate in this well but speaking of that in a conversation about atonement uh and i think it's pertinent because you brought up nine through eleven um five through seven um are also some pretty important chapters in romans (laughs) um 
And you specifically, I left out Romans 8 intentionally. Yeah, I'm like, why? You left nobody, out the best one. Nobody really knows where to put it. Right when you start grouping them together, because it really stands above them it. all. Oh, no, there's ben a clear, is, clear inclusio from ben at the beginning of chapter is, five to. Oh look, there you eight. go. No, look, Ben's the first person to ever convince me that chapter eight is actually talking about Adam. Oh. he did in his book on Romans. Okay, reading Romans in context. So, would you like to talk to us about um, like five through seven and this whole concept of Adam and Jesus being the replacement of Adam and and that invoking a covenant and yeah. and how that might have apply to atonement. Yeah. So, uh, I think the main thing I would say about the already not yet here is that if you read Romans one to four, so much of that is like, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. All this death that we are experiencing could have sin yeah. has been taken care of. Yeah. So Romans four, you know, it says, uh, God created something out of nothing. I mean, this is the mm. creation ex nihilo, right? Right. He took what was dead, made it alive. And so there it actually sets up this uh, tension for Christian theology is because if everything's so rosy with Jesus, why is all this death and sin still going on? Bingo. Yeah. And that's actually what five to eight is all about. Is mm -hmm. like you've been justified, you've been made alive, but you are still going to face suffering and the issues of death and, and through until Christ returns. And so what I see five to eight then is really a description of the already and the not yet, just because they're still suffering, just because sin is still active doesn't mean that the life of God is somehow negated or, or, um, and so he's going to talk about, you know, you were reigning in life in Christ, uh, now, but not to be overly optimistic either that and you're still going to sin. So it still quit, sucks. Quit sinning. It's so yeah. would you, would you continue to read this through some kind of, um, appreciation for like, uh, Scott McKnight's reading Romans backwards, that these things are also, also socio ethnic issues that are being created in the church. Yeah. So what I would say about McKnight's work there is that he's taking a symptom of the problem, but not the fundamental problem itself. So I, I read the fundamental problem of Romans as life and death. Yeah. So the I gospel is the one who is righteous by faith will live is that Habakkuk quote right at the beginning. And so that the whole focus of Romans is we are dead in sin, but we're made alive in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he repeats that over and over and over yeah. again throughout the whole letter. And so that is a common human problem, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. Yes. Death. Yes. Death prevails. The human experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whereas <laughs> what McKnight is emphasizing is what I, I would say is a secondary issue of human divisions of how Jews and Gentiles historically fit into this covenant of life. Mm. Um, and so he, he's not addressing something that's uh, irrelevant or unimportant, but it is secondary. See, this is why I say the best example of the Christian story is Game of Thrones. Did you ever watch Game of Thrones? No, I haven't. Uh, okay, you need to watch it. It needs to go to the top of the list. It is a it's great... Gr it's it, graphic. It's pretty graphic as far as blood and gore and sex. Um, but... So it, wait, all, wait. all the things y'all are y'all are both uh, into nonviolence. Is that, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, you did hear that. It's okay yeah. to watch it on TV, just not do your. It's okay right. when it's art, when it's an artistic depiction. It's not. <laughs> it's not okay when you take an assault rifle into a fourth grade classroom. Anyways, go yeah. ahead. 
Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, our common enemy is death, is what I hear. That, that death is the human problem, and divisions amongst uh, humans in other ways are secondary issues. Yeah, and what's the story of Game of Thrones? Well, and what I would say is that those divisions are an instantiation of death. Right? I would agree with this too. Like this is so, my whole concept of the ground of death. Ground of death. You're proving this thing, but yeah, go ahead. If you well, so one an ancient kind of view of death is disintegration, things coming apart. Okay. So your body, like your cells, yeah, right. working, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they break apart, right? The elements that should work together, and you know, and all that. Uh, so integration and so death is disintegration right in fact, your body separates yeah. from your soul right yeah, is a, yeah, yeah. one way of talking about that as well well what does that look like on a relational level not just a physical level is your relationships are literally tearing uh, apart they're disintegrating yeah. Yeah. Uh, before our eyes and so in that sense these divisions between Jews and Gentiles I think are just an expression of the resolution to death that the life of people living together in wholeness is just as you know, is important. It's just not, um, I would just say it's not what Paul forefronts in the letter in that way. It, it it's a, a late motif is, you know, the good academic <laughs> yeah. term late know. motif. It, it runs throughout the whole letter and it yeah. drives our ethics. It drives the way we live, you know? And so we, we live with this all the time who, who are given preferential treatment in the church, right? right. If you're thin, Right. And tall and good looking and wealthy. And white. Yeah, white. Then you'll probably be an elder of a church. Yeah. And if you. They give you money too. Yeah. You know, and so like all these social things. (laughs) Are determined. And so we we don't do it ethnically in that way in the same way as what Romans is talking about. But. But it it still happens. The exact same problems are. Yeah. Or we just inhabit them in a different way. Right. But there it's death, right? You're killing what could be the, the life of people loving, serving, participating. Is death always a bad thing? Yeah. Well, we were going to, we were talking about that in the last episode and I, I meant to bring this up as far as the problem of evil, because uh, one of the things of like, if you, if you think that evolution is somehow a progress towards something mm-hmm. better. Yeah. And actually, evolution is built upon the process of death. Those right. forms that were less ideal right. do not sustain, and that the more ideal sustain. And so, but don't okay. Well, no, no, keep going. Yeah, so, go but, but but what? But death then is a form of that. You know, part of that, a necessary part of the process of evolution. Yeah, not necessarily bad, but just an ingredient. And so there, there's a, a theologian. Um, Hans Urs von Balthasar. Yes. So he's a German. We've guy. read. Yes. We've oh, read. Hey, I know. You forced us. Hold on, wait. I know one German word. I only know one German word, and it's because you talk about <laughs> Halsgeschichte. All right. Yes. <laughs> Salvation history. The history. Um, of, yeah. Anyway, but, sorry, so Balthasar talks about this in a way that I think is helpful and interesting is that even though death is the enemy, mm-hmm. what it, it's the same way that Jesus dying actually becomes the means by which God accomplishes his end. Right. Yeah. Death is a good thing. Yeah. And so it's beneficial in some way. And so even in evolution, so he, he even uses this idea of evolution as a model for, uh, as an example of God, even though it's an evil thing in itself, God actually uses it to accomplish his purposes. 
I mean, just ecologically, though. Sorry, uh, we're like really well, getting off I think, track. <laughs> well, I think for me, so I agree with you. And the, the way I talk about it is, right, is nature, right? E- yeah, like, ecology. This yeah, is what yeah, I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. But what I would also say is like, I, I'm not sure that cellular death should be put in the same category of death because it cellular death brings forth life. That's what you've communicated, right? Is that evolution, you must death must happen as a part of evolution. How do you not include cellular death in death? The, it, cell, death, the category of death it gets its definition from cellular death. Well, not but not a holistic <laughs> being cellular death. What I mean is more like spiritual when a leaf death. falls off a tree, cellular death. Okay. But yeah, so, but our aging basically is just the accumulation of cells that have died or corrupted, been corrupted, you know. Right. And ultimately they can't, you know, you just accumulate enough of those and then you die because you don't have any more it, good living ones. Yeah. Yeah. Non-corrupted ones. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. And yeah. So I, I usually call process. this reciprocity. It's the circle of life. Yes, I usually call it reciprocity. I and I put it in a different category than something like murder for death. Moiter. Right? Like yeah, or like rape. But it's also rape. death. I mean, it's like bad death and good death. I don't know. We're really well, see. You're still creating another category. You're at least granting me my premise that it's something a little bit different. Yeah, fair. Indeed, it is. Okay, look, we've only got a couple minutes left. So how do we want to wrap this up with uh, old Ben Blackwell over there? Joel Green has a book. Uh, okay, Joel Green. I can't Green. remember. has the word atonement in it. Joel um, Green. Is he a new professor at HBU? Old Testament? <laughs> no, no, no. He has been at Fuller for years. Yeah. But, oh, I have uh, no idea who I think it's is. called the Mosaic of the Atonement. It, it's probably... No idea. If you're you're going to look for somebody that would have a, all of the above kind of model, I think okay. that's probably McKnight's description of it is very brief and not robust. Whereas Green's, I think, if I was going to point somebody, that's the to golf read, club analogy yeah. or the golf bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, golf I use bag. it in our engaging theology book. Yeah, um, maybe that's where I read that. Yeah, I'm sure that's if uh, where you would have, but it's um, and I think it's a as an analogy goes, it's it's fine. Um, but Green, um, I think, treats it more holistically. Good to know. Well, uh, Ben, thanks for being on the podcast. I do have one final question. Oh, wait, go. If you were going to, if you were going to look and have a conversation with someone that said, "Hey, penal substitutionary atonement has been really harmful to me in my theological construct- construction. Mm. Give me one good thing to take from." Ooh, one good thing. One good thing. All right. So what I would say is you have to start with the Nicene Creed. (laughs) Okay. And the the I said one thing, Ben. Yeah. (laughs) This is this is the deal with professors. They just just trying to do their own thing. They don't live by the rules. There's one word in the creed that's important for this. Homoousios. Homoousios. Jesus a made is up word. One nature. Jesus is of the same nature as the Father. Yeah. And so the Jesus is not dying as to appease some other God. God is dying themselves. God himself is on the cross. And so in that sense, it's not the angry father who, who hates you and Jesus who loves you in opposition, that God himself is the one stigmata. who is sacrificing for your behalf. Like it's God is crucifying God. 
or in your wait, stigma is no, wrong. God thing. is offering themselves. Yeah, it's like it's like a self-sacrificial. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and I think that what I would God say is God is writing the wrong that we caused according well, to what the story we, by offering themselves. Yeah. So what I would say is a healthy trinitarian view of penal substitution is different than the what I would say is the crappy Evangelical versus folk theology to where God's angry with you and Jesus saves you from hell. So there you go, friends. No Jonathan Edwards. No Jonathan Edwards, but we also don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There might be some goodness to uh, substitutionary atonement. Nah, man, just moral influence. Hey, thanks for being here, (laughs) and uh, we'll uh, see you next time time. (laughs) on Finds a Perspective.